video on the faces of Venus. It's a plot that mirrors that of a murder mystery. Some scholars accuse Galileo of a crime, falsifying data. The circumstantial evidence is enough to make anyone suspicious. If he's innocent, he had remarkably bad luck with the timing of certain events, the worst possible coincidences for him that make him look guilty. But he has an alibi. Ha! Huh. Uh, conflicting evidence. It's a head-scratcher. Most historians these days believe Galileo. They think he's innocent. Let's see if we can't poke some holes in their story. So first, uh, the scientific background then. So the planet Venus, it is our closest neighbor in the solar system. What kind of thing is Venus, actually? To the naked eye, all we can see is it's the dust of light. What is that thing? Is it the fire? Is it the big thing of metal or diamond? Some kind of mirror? You know, it doesn't seem so likely that it's just a plain old rock. Does it? Uh, rocks, they don't sparkle like that, do they? It's so bright. Yeah, you'd think it would have to have uh, its own light source. Like a fire or something like that. Well, but anyway, you could speculate all day long. All of that was uh, anyone's guess before the telescope. Now, let's look at Venus through a telescope. Aha! It's a rock, after all. It actually doesn't shine with its own light. It's only reflected uh, light from the sun. It can get that bright anyway, remarkably. So it's a big round thing, a sphere. Venus, as you can now see with the telescope, and only half of it is bright at any given moment, the half that faces the sun. So this says a lot about the geometry of the universe. It's telling us the relative spatial position of Venus and the Sun. Back in the old days, there was no way you could tell just by looking which thing in the sky was closer than the other. But now you can. Is Venus on the far side of the Sun or nearer to us? Just look at which way the bright half of it is pointing and now you have the answer. If you look at Venus and it's like a new moon, so uh, mostly dark with a, like a crescent sliver of light on one side, then the bright side of Venus is evidently facing away from us, and hence Venus is between us and the Sun, so closer to us. And sometimes it's the other way around. Venus is, is on the far side, and then the, the bright half of it is facing toward us, so we see the face of Venus almost completely lit up like a full moon. Those are the faces of Venus, just like the faces of the moon, just like the new moon, half moon, full moon. So also you have, so to speak, half Venus, full Venus, and so on. And this could never happen in the Ptolemaic geocentric system of the cosmos. In that system, the orbit of Venus is enclosed within the orbit of the sun. But the faces of Venus show that Venus is sometimes on our side of the sun, and sometimes on the far side, interchangeably back and forth in the course of a year. That's impossible according to the old system. So the phases of Venus are a great argument for the new Copernican system, where bodies interchange positions like that, other than uh, everybody remaining within their own layer as it used to be. Uh, on the other hand, these new observations are also consistent with the system of Tycho Brahe, which we had discussed before. Anyway, what about uh, Galileo? What is his role in all of this? Obviously, as usual, 
he tries to claim credit for all of these things. But does he deserve any credit? Most scholars think yes, indeed. And But I'm going to challenge conventionalism on this point. And the key facts are as follows. They're very intriguing. The faces of Venus were discovered in 1610. But look at the timeline here. If we zoom in to the sequence of events, it raises a lot of questions. Now, the first documented record that we have is from December 5th, 1610. It's a letter from Castelli to Galileo. Uh, Castelli was Galileo's former student, a close friend of Galileo's. Castelli's letter explains perfectly clearly the idea of using the phases of Venus to confirm heliocentrism, just as I outlined above. If, Gal if Copernicus was right and Ptolemy uh, was wrong, then it should be possible to prove this by means of the phases of Venus. Uh, Castelli is not making these observations himself, he's just suggesting that Galileo should make those observations and explains what the potential is of the importance of those uh, phenomena. So if you recall, the telescope, it's almost brand new. Telescopic astronomy is less than one year old at this point in 1610. So there is no record whatsoever that Galileo knew anything about the faces of Venus before being told about it by Castelli in his letter from, from December 5th. Now look at what happens next. On December 11th, less than one week later, Galileo suddenly announces his great discovery, the phases of Venus. Galileo's own words are that this is something, quote, just observed by me, which involves the outcome of the most important issue in astronomy, and in particular contains in itself a strong argument for the Copernican system. That's the end of the quote. This is something that Galileo sends in a letter to, to many colleagues. He's spreading this around, saying, you know, take note of my important discovery. Listen to that quote, by me. Galileo is unequivocally claiming credit for himself, even though the timing is super suspicious, isn't it? Did Galileo, in fact, steal the idea from Castelli? That is very possible. But it gets more complicated. On December 30th, that is another three weeks later, Galileo gave for the first time an account of his observations Oh, Venus, the first letter, he just like, well, you know, it's a thing that I discovered. Uh, I'm not going to tell you about it. It's just, uh, it's just to, to uh, get it on the record, you know, that it's his discovery. Actually, that first letter, uh, it, he didn't even state his discovery, but only uh, submitted an anagram with a, with a statement of it. So these, uh, these anagrams, you know, you scramble the letters, it goes A, 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 B, 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 C, C, or something like that, and then you can... Uh, later tell people, well, what I actually meant was, blah, 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 and you have a certain sentence that, that, that states the faces of Venus, and that way you can say, you can prove that you were the first one uh, to, uh, to have that idea, because you have that old uh, letter to go back to. On the other hand, you don't have to actually reveal your, um, give any other people some, so you have the advantage of claiming to be first, because you have that document to point to in the future and resolving the anagram you can but you don't have to actually give other people uh, any ideas you can just keep it for yourself so the best of both worlds you know if you're very greedy and egotistic uh, like Galileo was 
Oh, well, uh, so let's see. But now on December 30th, then, he has, Galileo has decided that uh, he doesn't need to hide behind this anagram anymore. At this point, he claims uh, that, it, it, so he's going to show you what, what actually, you know, describe the actual observations. He claims at this point to have observed Venus for about three months. So uh, his observational record dates back before the letter from uh, Castelli. Two months before. So he gives uh, indeed an accurate description, fairly detailed description of the appearance of, of Venus during this period. So either he's telling the truth and he already knew about the very important phases of Venus and he was just uh, sitting on it for a while and just happened to receive Castelli's letter uh, just about the time that he was about to go public anyway with his discovery. Or else he's lying and he secretly made up those observations to boost his case. There's another letter from November 13th of the same year. Galileo seems to state expressly that he had no new planetary discoveries to report, which implies that he did not yet know about the phases of Venus, contrary to his later assertions when he's saying, actually, I, I observed this for for three months, it says in December, meaning that he would have already been busy with this for some time in November at that point. So, well, his defenders, they have a way of explaining this. They say, when, when Galileo says in November, I haven't discovered anything new about the planets, these modern scholars are saying, ah, yes, you see, nothing new about the planets it really means nothing new around the planets. So that is to say, no new moons. That is all he's saying. So even though Galileo had made this very important uh, new discovery concerning the, the planets, namely the phases of Venus, that was not a discovery about the planets. See? It's a, a twist of, of the linguistics there. So it comes down to a point of Italian linguistics uh, how tenable uh, that interpretation is. I'm not really an expert on that, but who knows. any case, that's debatable. So indeed, it would make sense for Galileo to be on the lookout for moons at this point. So he had found moons around Jupiter and Saturn. That was a huge deal. And, uh, that's all the more reason for him to uh, miss the faces of Venus, actually. Uh, at this time, during the fall and winter months, Venus was well over half full. Modern astronomers, they can calculate backwards. They can know exactly the state of the planets at that point. So we know what Galileo would have seen if you looked at Venus. The shape of Venus, it would not have been very remarkable at this time. At the time when Galileo says he started to observe it, which must have been in October or so, if we are to believe Galileo. So, unless you're specifically paying attention to the shape of Venus... Uh, you you may well think that, well, it's just some round blob, uh, whatever, some little imperfection. You could easily just think that the imperfection of the telescope, which we know the telescopes are very imperfect at this time. So he could easily have missed it, Galileo, even if he was looking at Venus. He could have concluded, well, there's nothing new here. I was mostly just looking for moons anyway, and, you know, it's not, it doesn't look special. If he wasn't aware of the idea, faces of Venus and its potential as a Copernican argument, it's very reasonable that he would have uh, failed to see that this shape was a bit off from a perfect circle. 
So another thing we have to take into account here are the postal service delivery times. Castelli, he signed his letter December 5th, and Galileo's letter announcing the same idea uh, to, to his colleagues is dated six days later. So is that enough time then to receive the idea and plagiarize it and send it out as your own? So historians have argued about it. Westfall found that it is easily possible that Galileo could have received the letter before uh, December 11th. And still Madrake, on the other hand, finds the probability of this vanishingly small, as he says. So, well, they're both looking at the, the record, uh, the correspondence uh, chronology as a whole, and trying to piece these things together, how good the, the postal service was at that time. So, uh, well, I guess we will never know which who is right there. It's also possible that Galileo would have post-dated his letter, maybe by a day or two, just in case. He obviously realized the urgency of being first with these kinds of things, and who's going to know if you date it one or two days earlier, and you know if you get caught, you're just like, whoops, I miscounted the days. So it's pretty safe, isn't it? So what about the details of Galileo's observational report? If Galileo had not observed the faces of Venus before Castelli's letter in December, how could he then later give an accurate description of their appearance dating back two months before that letter. So you have to consider the hypothesis that he may have fabricated data and passed it off as, his, as actual uh, observations. We know that Galileo did this on many occasions. We have discussed this before. That's business as usual for Galileo. It's a fact that nobody disputes that Galileo did in fact publish fake data on several occasions. And if there ever was a time to fake data, it was now. Galileo was, of course, concerned to get this important pro-Copernican argument from the faces of Venus on the record as quickly as possible and to claim it for himself. Wouldn't want any other guy stealing the glory, would you? For this purpose, it would be important to have observed the full appearance of Venus during the fall the time when it's uh, like a full moon, so to speak. That is the thing that shows that it's on the far side of the sun, remember, which is very important. That's how you disprove Ptolemy. Toward the end of the year, in December, when Galileo has received the letter, when he is aware of the issue, then the, uh, the moon is already transitioning to a crescent phase, uh, which is no good, because that's consistent with Ptolemy. So those observations are less valuable. The next opportunity to observe it in the full phase would be several months away. You have to wait until, uh, I don't know, April or May or something. So Galileo certainly had a strong motive to fabricate the data. It's either that or wait for several months and maybe some other guy will beat you to the punch. And he also had those uh, Three weeks, remember, so from receiving the letter from Castelli to when he actually reveals the, the, the observational results. At that, during those weeks, he already had time to verify that indeed the phases of Venus are changing in the direction that is predicted by this hypothesis. So, it, it, this would be sufficient to give him great confidence that the heliocentric explanation for the phases of Venus was the right one. So, therefore, faking the data for the earlier period would have been 
quite safe, not at all really a risk scientifically. So Galileo's defenders, they have a counter argument to this stuff that they did, it could have faked the data. They say, no, Galileo could not have fabricated the data in question, even if he had wanted to. According to them, the changes in the appearance of Venus during these months was so complex and non-linear, as they say, that uh, Galileo could never have given such an accurate account if he had not in fact made his observations. Specifically, Galileo correctly describes the fact that the transitions from a full to a semicircular uh, face of Venus, illumination of Venus, is quite rapid. It goes from full to half, zroop, while the roughly semicircular phase lingers for a considerable time. It remains half, 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 and then there's another transition to crescent shape. And here is what uh, Palmieri says in a recent paper. Castelli's letter, this is a quote now from, from Palmieri, Castelli's letter cannot have been the spark that ignited Galileo's program of observation of Venus. It was simply too late. If he only then had started observing Venus, he would have seen it already nearing the exact semicircular phase, thus completely missing the nonlinear uh, patterns of change. And he could not possibly have been able to calculate the duration of uh, one month for the lingering uh, phenomena. In other words, Galileo cannot have predicted Venus' nonlinear pattern of behavior by reconstructing them backwards. For Copernican, it might have been easy to predict that Venus should display faces. However, it is one thing to predict this type of behavior qualitatively, and quite another to predict the nonlinear patterns of change of Venus' faces. A quantitative analysis would have required of Galileo a sophisticated mathematical theory that he did not have. There remains only one possibility, namely that Galileo really did observe Venus' nonlinear patterns of behavior. That's the end of that quote. I say, this is wrong. On the contrary, Galileo could easily have reconstructed these phenomena. He would not have needed any sophisticated mathematics at all. All he would have had to do is to simulate the appearance of Venus with a simple physical model. Just take a sphere paint half of it black and half of it white, and look at it from different vantage points corresponding to the Earth's position relative to Venus, and that way you can simulate looking at Venus through a telescope very well without any need for sophisticated calculations of any kind. I carried out this simulation myself. I used very simple means. I went to Ikea, I brought a white uh, spherical lamp, that's my Venus. I had some black masking tape that I used to cover half of it to represent the half not illuminated by the sun, so I have this thing that's in sphere that's half white, half black. Uh, I went to uh, to the office uh, on a weekend. I built a little solar system in an empty parking lot over there. I picked one point to represent the sun. I put my Venus model in a certain position, and then for the Earth, I put a, a camera, so you know, so I can take pictures to simulate what uh, Venus would look like as seen from the sun. So I positioned these things according to a simplistic Copernican theory, just like Galileo could have done. I assume for simplicity that the orbits of Venus and the Earth are perfect circles and that their orbital speeds are constant. Estimates for these distances and speeds were common knowledge in Galileo's time. Estimates for these distances and speeds were common knowledge in Galileo's time. 
Venus was seen exactly semicircular on December 18th. That's right before Galileo's observational report, a week or so before. Which is very convenient for calibrating the initial position of this setup. You have precisely half illuminated Venus that gives you a 90 degree angle that you can use to calibrate the thing. And then you can just calculate backwards from there. You move Venus and the Earth uh, back however many degrees they will cover in one month, two months and so on. And you, you just put a protractor at the sun and you mark off uh, so and so many degrees. It's a piece of cake to do these calculations. Galileo could easily have completed such a simulation from start to finish in just a few hours. It's uh, just decided. Galileo, you would not have needed much imagination to come up with this scheme. The idea of illustrating the phases of the moon by an illuminator have painted sphere. This is, of course, a, a trivial idea, a very obvious idea that has been commonplace since antiquity. So it's a very natural thing that suggests itself that you should do that for, for Venus. And the results of my simple simulation are very close to the true appearances. And modern astronomers, they have calculated these appearances with great precision. If you put their figures or reconstructions of what the sky actually looked like at that time next to my photos from the from the parking lot you see well it's the same thing crucially the simulations that i made it is easily sufficient to reproduce the allegedly unpredictable non-linear phenomena that Galileo got light right in his uh, in his report of december 30. So that stuff about how it goes quickly from full to half and then it stays half for a long time and then it changes. That part, easily uh, reproducible with this uh, simple toy model that uh, takes 10 minutes to to calculate. So they claim that it would have been impossible for Galileo to recreate these appearances uh, after the fact is definitely false. It would have been very much possible, in fact, for Galileo to recreate these appearances that he had not actually observed. It would have been easy, in, in fact. I proved this with my own experience. Another article on this matter has argued that Galileo's account has, quote, the ring of record of visual impressions rather than an account colored by calculations. Uh, because they have a highly visual character that's supposed to show that Galileo made actual observations but obviously these markers of actual visual experience are consistent with my simulation hypothesis just as well as with actual observation so there's another argument in favor of my hypothesis in fact my hypothesis makes a lot of sense if we compare it with Galileo's treatment of sunspots if my hypothesis is correct, these two cases are strikingly similar in several key respects. We discussed sunspots uh, before, and the key facts for present purposes are as follows. Galileo realized that sunspots constituted an important pro-Copernican argument. He realized this only quite late, based on the input of others. He needed to act fast in writing something about it, without having the time for thorough observations. And I suggest that this is in fact word for word exactly what happened in the case of the phases of Venus. We know that those things happened in the sunspot case I've already that's documented. And I'm just saying with my hypothesis regarding Venus that precisely the same thing happened, which is not 
a strange thing to think. Now, this parallel undermines the common assumption that Castelli's idea must already have been obvious to Galileo. This is one way of defending Galileo from the charge of plagiarism. One scholar, for example, thinks that, quote, it would be to dignify the idea beyond reasonable measure to view, Galile- to view uh, Castelli's suggestion as a significant insight. Rather, the thought that Venus might have faces was in the air, and hence Castelli's contribution is to be considered quite trifling. Another historian argues along similar lines that Galileo had no need to be spurred to action by Castelli's letter, only by news of others making advanced telescopic observations. Strikingly, uh, around a day or two before hearing from Castelli, Galileo had received another letter reporting that Clavius and his assistants at Rome had observed the moons of Jupiter, which Galileo had already done that, of course, but these people are catching up with him. So Galileo now had uh, serious competitors in realm of advanced telescopic observation, so to speak, or so it would seem to him anyway. So presumably these people would turn to the other planets next, and perhaps they would anticipate the discovery of the faces of Venus. So maybe that was the explanation for Galileo's sudden urgency in uh, his December letters. According to this uh, scholar, Stilman Drake, uh, the problem was to have a good telescope, not to possess the reasoning power that astronomers had never lacked. This is the quote from Stilman Drake. But these two scholars are wrong, in fact. The sunspots case is a counterexample to their claim. If there were no shortage of reasoning power, as they call it, then Galileo should have realized the potential importance of sunspots much earlier. He should not have let himself be beaten to the punch about their curved appearance by his arch-rival Shiner. Uh, the fact of the matter is that the sunspots argument for heliocentrism eluded Galileo for 20 years, despite the fact that he was passionately committed to proving heliocentrism in novel ways, and despite the fact that he himself had written specifically and in detail about that very phenomena, sunspots, and despite the fact that the argument is very simple, the reason why sunspots prove Copernicus right. Somehow Galileo missed this for 20 years, despite all of these things, it was right in front of his eyes the whole time. By analogy, this suggests that Castelli's idea about Venus could very well have been news to Galileo, of course. If Galileo could somehow miss the sunspots argument for 20 years, despite all of this, well, he could certainly have failed to think of the Venus argument during his one initial frantic year of telescopic observation when he had a myriad other novelties and issues to deal with all at once. So, you know, the notion that, uh, oh, well, astronomers were always so clever, they, they never missed anything, the only hard part was to have a telescope good enough to see it. Nonsense. For sure, Galileo lacked the insight in terms of reasoning. This is a documented fact in the case of sunspots. Even more interestingly, perhaps the most interesting aspect of the parallel between these two cases, the sunspots and the Venus, is the possibility that they both involve the use of physical models to simulate celestial appearances. In Galileo's dialogue, one speaker reports regarding the appearance of the paths uh, traced on the surface of the sun by the sunspots as seen from the Earth. That He says, 
the speaker in the dialogue that Galileo assisted my understanding by representing the facts for me upon a material instrument. It was nothing but an astronomical sphere, making use of some of its circles, though for a different use than from that which they ordinarily serve. And the same sentiment is repeated later in the dialogue. The appearance of the sunspot paths will become better fixed in my mind when I examine them by placing a globe at this tilt and then looking at it from various angles. This is the end quote from that, from the dialogue. Now, this is very closely analogous to the Venus simulation that I outlined above. It is a, a, exactly the same idea. You use a sphere to represent the thing, you look at it from different points of view and infer what the appearances of celestial objects must be based on that simulation. This very strongly suggests that this, uh, to simulate the face of Venus like this, uh, as I suggest in my hypothesis, that would have been very natural to Galileo. It would have been perfectly in keeping with his own style of reasoning as he himself describes it. In the case of the sunspots, we know for a fact that he did insufficient observations on sunspots before he rushed that into print. And we know for a fact that he used physical instruments uh, to simulate the appearances, as he himself explicitly says in his published book. So very plausible that he did the same uh, for Venus. So these are generally accepted facts about the sunspots case that Galileo claimed to have conducted careful observations when he had not. According to his own account, he simulated observations by looking at the physical sphere from various vantage points according to the position of the Earth. And Galileo had failed to realize for a long time an important pro-Copernican argument despite his being very simple and very naturally connected to his own work on that exact subject. These things did happen in the sunspots case, that's a fact, which obviously suggests that they very well could have happened also in the Venus case. So what all this shows is that if Galileo had wanted to fabricate or reconstruct Venus observations that he had not made, he could easily have done so. His December 30th account where he describes appearances of Venus going back to October, is perfectly consistent with the hypothesis that he only started serious observations after receiving Castella's letter in December and then simulated earlier observations using a physical model. There are, indeed, as we have seen, a number of circumstantial indications that this would be very much in keeping with his character and habits. Thank you.